That's what she said is fueled by Gatorade, Gatorade's proven formula. Whatever path you take, greatness starts with G. The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is a podcast that brings you the latest news and trends in and around the NFL. If you like X's and O's, analytics, and probably too much dog talk, then give the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny a listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. Hey, everyone. This is Edward Lee, Chef Edward Lee. And uh, my dilemma is... uh... I can't stop opening my refrigerator after 10 p.m. And I know I'm not supposed to, and I'm trying to stay fit, but uh, multiple times. I'm a, I'm a night owl, and so I don't really go to bed till like two or three, and the refrigerator door um, gets opened a lot, and so that's my dilemma. Okay, well, you know, number one, figure out why you're doing it. Are you actually hungry? And in that case, maybe you need to plan your meals better throughout the day. Make sure you're eating protein and whole grains and fiber and, you know, all the good healthy filling stuff so you're not hungry late. Also ask yourself if you're really hungry, like would you eat an apple or yogurt or something healthy? Or are you only hungry for a sweet or something that's really yummy? Because then you might be just, you know, craving a treat and not actually um, hungry. But maybe you're just bored. And if you're bored, you could try to find a way to distract yourself or trick yourself. You know, a cup of hot tea is very filling, something to do with your hands and your mouth. Um, A low fat cup of hot chocolate mix, you know, something a little more delicious than tea, but still low in calories. Um, If you're staying up late watching movies or TV and you're near the kitchen and that's why you go in there, could you maybe do that in a room far away from the kitchen, turn off the lights, go upstairs, put in AirPods and watch whatever you want to watch in bed? Uh, You could brush your teeth. You could put in a mouth guard. You could do something physically that makes it tough to snack. Um, You could really get weird with it and put an alarm on the fridge door after a certain time. You know what? Or you could just have a yummy snack because life's too short and you could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Um, And you could just, you know, try to be healthy and kind to your body as often as possible. And then just, you know, have the ice cream sandwich. Why the not? That's what she said. Hey, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the holiday season, getting lots of time with friends and family, doing holiday shopping, soaking up all the magic. I am a huge Christmas person, and I love traditions, and I'm so excited that this year um, we can get back to a lot of them. We just had one of my favorites, our annual Christmas tree hunt. Um, In Michigan, my parents have a house about 90 minutes outside Chicago, so a bunch of my friends, we all go have a boozy lunch, and then we go out to a tree farm and take a horse-drawn wagon ride out to this big field of trees, find the perfect Christmas tree, and and cut it down ourselves with an axe. Then we go to a local winery. This year, we were in an awesome igloo, having a bunch of drinks and stuff. Then we go to the market, grab a bunch of food, make a big dinner, play some games, and have a sleepover. It's super, super fun. Um, and we still have a couple more. We have our holiday day of fun where we hit up all the beautifully decorated bars and restaurants and pop-ups in Chicago. We've got our 12 courses of Christmas dinner that my friend throws lovely dinner with our chef friend cooking us an amazing meal. Um, we're not having our annual Christmas party this year. We had to cancel it again. Thanks COVID. Um, Fletch Navidad. So named in honor of a joint birthday party slash Christmas party for our firstborn dog Fletch, uh, the greatest creature of any kind ever 
to grace the earth or any other celestial locale. Um, so that's a bummer. But I'm hoping we can get back to it next year. Um, and I hope you guys are all enjoying amazing traditions, feeling super grateful to be back uh, doing stuff with friends and family this year, too. So thanks, science. Uh, and while we're feeling thankful, I am super thankful for you and thankful that you that you listen um, and thankful that you're part of this community because I love doing this podcast and I honestly couldn't do it without all of you. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. And if you haven't yet, please follow That's What She Said with Sarah Spain on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, rate it five stars, please. Review it. Like uh, Goon0907, who wrote, I'm a huge fan of Sarah Spain. She is amazing and she knows her sports. Her podcast is now one of my favorite podcasts. She gets people to open up to her. Thank you. That's really nice. Um, Nola E wrote, I love this show. I love the varied guests and definitely word of the day. This pod is a frequent companion on my daily hikes and walks. Highly recommend. Thank you. I love that. Okay. On to today's guest. He is a new friend and he is proof that the internet is not all bad. Twitter is in fact where we met, uh, via a follower of mine who suggested his amazing restaurant, 610 Magnolia, when I was headed to Louisville and then Chef Ed, being the most delightful Louisville host, opened up the doors to his restaurant and his foundation and his bar and his friends, and he's just magical. Um, he's Brooklyn-born, but based out of Louisville and Washington, D.C. He runs 610 Magnolia and Whiskey Dry in Louisville, and then two locations of Succotash in Washington, D.C. and National Harbor. Lots of television appearances. You've seen him on The Mind of a Chef on PBS. He was a contestant in the ninth season of Top Chef, a cookbook author, a five-time... James Beard Award nominee and James Beard winner for his 2019 cookbook, Buttermilk Graffiti. He's also founder of the Lee Initiative, uh, the Let's Empower Employment Initiative, identifies issues surrounding diversity in the restaurant industry and then creates solutions to help that community grow. Uh, we had the best conversation. He is so much fun. Uh, we talked about how he was, would have been voted most likely to be disappointing in high school. He worked for a traveling circus. He worked at an S&M club. Um, how 9-11 changed the trajectory of his life, how he came to love Louisville even as a New Yorker, uh, the torture of being a contestant on Top Chef, and why he really wants to make friends with his neighbor, my fellow ESPN colleague, Dominique Foxworth. Uh, it's all in there. It's super fun. I hope you guys love it. That's what she said. So excited to have Chef Edward Lee on the podcast, uh, brought together by the magic of Twitter, which is not something I often say. Usually Twitter is mostly causing me to bang my head against a wall or want to throw things. And yet I was making plans to go to Louisville for a Red Stars tournament over the summer. I asked people for recommendations and somebody tagged 610 Magnolia and said, you have to go to this restaurant. And none other than Chef Lee himself messaged and said, hey, I'm a huge ESPN fan. And you should definitely come to the restaurant. And then he ended up hanging out with us every day of the trip. Oh, we just couldn't get rid of him. Uh, the best ambassador for the city of Louisville and a tremendous chef. And now I get to pick his brain, which I'm very excited about, uh, based on some of the stories that we've exchanged uh, over cocktails <laughs> late at night. Uh, he's got some good ones. So, Chef, let's start way back when you were born in Brooklyn. Your parents are both Korean. Uh, how did you get into cooking? Was it something from a very young age you thought would be uh, more than just fun for you? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I was born, if anyone out there knows, the, the mean streets of Canarsie, Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> last stop on the L train. Um, so it, it wasn't a, uh, you know, it wasn't the nicest place to grow up as a kid. Um, 
but there was lots of food. There's lots of immigrants. There's lots of, uh, uh, you know, Italian food and Jamaican food and Indian food and Pakistanis and uh, Middle Eastern food. There was, a, I was just exposed to a lot. Um, but I, but I mostly ate traditional Korean food, uh, at home. And I, I, I don't know, I guess it was my grandmother who first exposed me to food, I, you know, but it's, it's not like this typical, like, Oh, I, my grandmother taught me everything. I just, I've always been, uh, fascinated by the, the process of food, like having, you know, a bunch of raw ingredients and then you finish with this like beautiful thing, um, that, that delights your, your palate. Um, and then to like, like, so I, I, I've always wanted to, I always knew that I was going to work in food. I don't know how, I don't know how else to explain it, but I think I was nine when I told my parents that I was going to be a chef. Um, oh, wow. And they, they, you know, I was like, yeah, that's fine. And Billy's going to be an astronaut. Like we're, that's cute. And, <laughs> and, well, and this and, is before, you know, food network and stuff. Obviously, no, this is before Julia was, Child and there were other people yeah. you could see on television, but it wasn't the same kind of industry that it is now. So it's even more no. notable that you knew that early. It was, it was something. And, and, and I also, you know, living in Brooklyn, um, especially in the, in the deeper part of Brooklyn and seeing Manhattan from the subway, um, is a really interesting experience because min, to me, Manhattan like represented wealth and, and success and, and, you know, uh, you know, all your dreams come true and everything. And then it was so close uh, and yet so far away, right? Because yeah. we, we, we were living in, and you know, not poverty, but we were pretty poor. Um, and so, so to me, like I knew I, I, I couldn't, like my family couldn't afford going to like these glitzy restaurants, but there was something about like, I would always be on the subway and I would look at all these, the, the skyline of Manhattan and go one day I'm going to get there. Um, and for me, I don't know why in some weird like thing in my head as a kid, uh, restaurants for me was, was the vehicle to which I was going to like get success. And I, I, I formed that idea very early on. Yeah. Um, as a kid. And, Were you into and, other stuff though? Were you into sports or music or school in addition to, to cooking and food? No. <laughs> 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 really I was terrible at sports. Uh, I can, I can still play a, I can play a decent pickup game of basketball just because I, okay. I lived in New York my whole life. Um, but no, I, I, you know, I wasn't exactly the most genius, uh, kid in school. Um, I mean, I was very you underwhelming. Say that, but and- then you say that, but then later we're going to get to graduating magna cum laude with a degree in literature from NYU. Well, that's fine. That was later. But, but like, oh, I, mm-hmm. if you talk to any of my <laughs> high school friends, they would probably tell you, like, most likely to be, you know, underwhelming in life. Like, that was. That, <laughs> <laughs> I smoked a lot of pot and yep. cut school a lot. And okay. was, uh, I was just like, I was a nice guy. I had lots of friends, but just never. Didn't was, apply yourself. They no. At, that's at how all. they would describe it. A nice at, way of saying we'll grow up to be uh, tremendously disappointing <laughs> is didn't apply himself. Uh, didn't live up to his potential. Okay. So you're really into food, but everything else is sort of like, eh, it's a drag, man. Let me go smoke some pot. Um, I, I understand that Wikipedia is not always correct, uh, but it does say that you uh, were in a traveling circus. Is yes, that accurate? That what? is accurate. That is accurate. The Big Apple Circus. Doing what? I didn't know that's on Wikipedia. Um, I was a stage and so I graduated from, from college and, uh, I decided I'm not going to my graduation. This is a waste of time. Um, so I went back to my high school, which was in the Bronx and I had, you know, I was having one of these reflective moments, like assessing my life as I go out into the world. 
and I saw this big circus tent. Uh, it's actually it's where I used to run cross country in uh, Van Van Cortland Park in the Bronx. Okay. And I saw this huge circus tent being um, taken down, and I was just like, I was like, this is a dream. So uh, uh, I was probably smoking some pot that day, and 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 I went I went up to the guy. I said, "What is this?" He said, "It's the Big Apple Circus." He goes. I go, do you need a hand? He goes, yeah, can you be here at 8 a.m. tomorrow? And I go, I think so. And I got hired on the spot, and I spent the next six months traveling the country as a stagehand for the Big Apple Circus. And it was fascinating. I, I actually loved wow. it. It was, it was everything that my parents uh, hated and everything that I, you know, wow. just like discovering the world. Were your parents uh, stereotypically strict? It sounds like a lot of your behaviors are the result of acting out against. Uh, and, and were they and were they first generation? Yes, first generation. Okay, I mean, yeah, all as, this as, is checking out. Then, yeah, you were supposed to be a doctor, know. and it as, said you smoked a lot of pot and worked for the circus. As typical as it gets, <laughs> it was like it was so. They spent so many years so upset at me. And, You're uh, so basic, chef. Is <laughs> basic. Um, wait, so the the circus was after college then? It was after college. Okay, and so we'll, we'll correct the went, Wikipedia. It says before went, college. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. please correct that. No, yeah. I never went to. Uh, I never went to my NYU college graduation because I had to join the circus. And um, to this day, my mother. She did. Yes. She, my mother, still thinks I'm lying because I don't have an actual like. She doesn't have a picture of me in a capping gown. So she still thinks I'm lying oh that I gosh. never graduated college. It's easy. It's easy to call schools and find out. Uh, so she really wants to dig in. She can. She can find out if that degree is there. Um, wait. Let's get back to NYU. So a d yeah. degree in literature and magna cum laude. So what was the pivot? When you when I mean, obviously, at some point in high school, you figured it out enough to get in there to apply yourself enough. And then once you were there, you you did the work. So had you found an interest in a love of literature at that point or? Yeah. Were you so, excelling for the sake of that's what you were told to do? No, I was I was uh, I, I you know, by then I'm sort of an adult, whatever, 17. And, and I knew I was going to be a chef like I, I had already things lined up. And um, but, you know, being first born immigrant, you know, in, in America, um, my parents said, you are going to graduate college. Like I was ready to go to culinary school at 14. And they were like, you're going to go to college. So I said, fine, I'll go to college, but I'm not going to litter. I'm not going to like uh, major in business or be law. <laughs> like I'm, right. I know I'm going to graduate from college and the next day, you know, I'm going to go work in, in a kitchen or the circus, whichever. <laughs> and so I just, pretty much the uh, same. And so depending on the restaurant, same, pretty yeah. much so. um, so I just majored in something that I knew that I loved, which was just, I just love to read. I still do yeah. I love to write. And um, I've always, you know, uh, uh, like cause to me, I, I grew up actually reading a lot of uh, food stories. Um, and and so I just loved reading. And, and so, yeah, I did well. I, I, I would say this. I did well in college because all I did was read books. And Right. If, if it's if it's natural to you, like, you know, I did yeah. very well in college as an English major because writing and reading is is my forte. If right. you had tried to get me to graduate from Cornell with an engineering degree, I would have been kicked out on day two. So um, much, much respect for people doing the difficult things. I, just I was, was good at writing. Yeah, I wasn't taking calculus. I didn't yeah, get a exactly. magna cum laude with calculus. Yeah. So were you the friend that everyone would have wanted in college? Because instead of, um, you know, instant cup ramen, you would be at, and, at your house or off campus or wherever you lived making amazing food and, and practicing. No. Would that kind of go away for a bit. 
No, it was actually probably the exact opposite. I was kind of disgruntled and a little bit angry <laughs> that, that you I couldn't, couldn't focus on it. <laughs> yeah, that I couldn't like because I really wanted to like just be in a kitchen. And so um, I actually got a job. This is funny. I got a job uh, at a diner um, making their breakfast. And so I would go to work at like four thirty mm. or five a.m. And I would make their muffins, you know, and, their, and it was just like diner food, right? Make their pancake mix and everything. And then I would go to my first class, which was like 8.30 or 9. And I remember one year my first class was Latin. And, uh, and so it was all these like pre-law kids, you know, and they're like really like uptight suits. And I literally would come in with like flour on my hair and like blueberry mix, like still in my ear and just smelling like, like butter and, and, and bran muffins. And, uh, I was so out of place. Do you remember the uh, name of the diner? Yeah. It was called the Big Apple Diner on 28th and Madison. They really Uh, are creative with those names in New York, you know, Big Apple Circus, Big Apple Diner. (laughs) You really... It's a hotbed for creativity. It, is. it is, really is. <laughs> um, I just was thinking it'd be great if someone listening had gone there around those years and been like, I knew those pancakes were special. I knew oh, yeah. that there was something about that that guy cooking the, the muffins. First, the, the first day, um, you know, they had like, they would have 50 pound bags of pancake mix, right? And you would like, you would crack an egg and add water. It's like, you wouldn't even make this. And, and instead of like closing it in a canister, they would just like roll it up, you know, the yeah. bag. And so uh, I, I still I still have nightmares. The first day I opened up the bag, I put my scooper in, and a rat <gasps> jumped oh, out. Oh. Uses my arm oh. as a ladder to crawl up <laughs> on top of my head, jumps off the top of my head and onto the shelf. And I was like, "Wow, this is and, this and is." I'm glamorous. sure they weren't like, "Well, toss that bag; it's full of yeah, rat poop." No, no. It was like, "No, no, no! Just cook the rat shit in there. Tell him it's chocolate chip." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so you are disgruntled and yet successful at NYU. You joined the circus for six months, and then um, you you say that you were sort of professionally cooking at the age of 22. The -hmm. first notable place was a trendy French-Moroccan place in the East Village. Yes. Um, How do you pronounce it? Chez Asada? Chez Asada, yeah. Wow, it's a blasphemy fest. But yeah. in between, in between there, I worked for an S and M club um, in the meatpacking district, Chef. and that's how I got Stage my job. Again. <laughs> that's how I got my job. What What the, did you do there? The, I was just a, uh, a bartender. Okay. And how um, was that? What's the best story that you have from working at the club? It was so. If anyone knows, there's it's a place called Jackie Sixties, which was like a legendary club. Like Debbie Harry used to hang out there. Like it was it was pretty badass, and. Um, one day it was all there was a wooden staircase and one you know you, back then you could smoke in, in clubs and uh, someone threw a cigarette button in the wooden staircase and um, you know it started to smolder and so we, there was a new busboy on staff and they were like oh no we got we got to get it out and he goes oh don't worry I, I called the fire department they're on their way oh no and you know there was a lot of illegal stuff yeah <laughs> so then the manager yanks me and says. Turn all the lights on, grab everyone, and get them the hell out the back exit. And I'm like, oh, do I have to go to the downstairs room? And he was like, yes, you have to go to the downstairs room. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And I don't and need to tell you what kid, happened. Right? You're right? You're 20 or 21? Yeah. The downstairs room just had a lot of shower curtains and benches. I'll just oh, put it out. Oh, God. That. And you had to go into all of the different. And I had to go and say, everyone out. Get your clothes on. Get out. Oh. Um, and then the fire department came. 
And uh, it's, you know, just, it was just hilarious. There's like 20 firemen. Was there ever an actual fire or is it just a bit of a smoldering no, stare? Just like a smoldering, like we oh, could no. put that with some, with some buckets of water. Damn bus boy, trying to ruin the fun for everyone. Um. But, anyway, but it was, I met, I met uh, uh, someone from, who was a, uh, a frequent client at the club who said, hey, I'm opening a restaurant and I heard you you like to cook. And I was like, yes, I'm looking for my big break at, at being in the kitchen. And so uh, he actually, uh, uh, his name was Michael O'Brien. He's like a famous photographer. But he actually gave me his, my first job in the kitchen. Wow. Uh, working with a chef named Frank Crispo, who, who um, you know, we butted heads in the beginning because I was, I had really long hair and I was wearing mascara. Um, this is starting but, to all make sense. This was, yeah. the, this was the club factoring in yes. here. But now, uh, uh, <laughs> Chef Chef Crispo is 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 to this day one of my good friends. Like we we still keep in touch, and he really gave me my start and like made me shave my head and 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 you know, like you know be responsible and stop smoking and doing all that good stuff. So you've told stories um, it, it, uh, in previous interviews about that particular chef Crispo and <laughs> how um, you were you know long hair, mascara, smoke a lot of pot, slacker, and then. One day he just decides to ream you out and inexplicably you decide to start showing up early with a haircut and prove him wrong. Yeah. Uh, that feels like a not only a movie trope, but also <laughs> something that you hear in both sports and cooking, yeah. right? You need the one person to get through to you and then all of a sudden you know, all the potential is unlocked. Um, but it didn't sound like you had c quite figured out why that worked. I don't, I don't know why. I just, you know, I, 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 he doubted me, you know, and I remember the first uh. day I walked into the kitchen and he said, uh, he said, you may last the summer here. And that was the first thing he said to me. And this uh, is just like sports, but oh, it's just like, sports. I mean, it's wild. There, there's, there's a lot of crossover with, I like, I, whenever I talk to my team, I always use sports media um, yeah. metaphors, yeah. you know, I'm always like, this is, this is a, um, but yeah. And I was like, what, like, you, are you, what, what did you just say? And, um, but he taught me to, 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 you know, I was like, I'm not, he didn't give me an ounce of respect unless I earned it. And it didn't matter how many books I'd read or what, how many recipes I knew. And, and, um, and, and listen, some of it in, in today's world might have been considered or might be considered a little harsh, mm -hmm. uh, a little overboard. Um, it was definitely tough love, but you know, at that time I needed it for sure. And, yeah. um, you know, I mean, he was like, you can't, you can't come looking like this and dressing like this and you know, acting like this. And, and, uh, and it was my choice, but I was like, well, I'll show you. Cause he said, you won't last two, two months. I said, I'll show you. I ended up lasting three years, I think. Wow. And, and yeah. And, yeah. and to the point where, you know, I became the head chef and, and he really, we became friends. And, and I, I remember when I decided to finally leave, he said, you know what? You proved me wrong. Like, oh, you, that's you, what you were. Yeah. That's what you're working for yeah. all along. Yeah. Um, just that, just that little ounce of approval. Yes, yes. Uh, we won't get into the daddy <laughs> issues. I'm sure they're there, but we will. When we've done enough time, we'll do that in our next session. Uh, I bill by the hour, by the way. Um, so you you're there for three years. You work your way up, uh, um, and then you start traveling, and 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 you're in France. You're across the U.S. You're learning about different cuisines and cooking methods, and really expanding your your understanding of cuisine across across the globe. And and you end up at the Kentucky Derby in 2001. And for whatever reason, of all the places you go and all the foods you taste, something there feels like home, even though you're not at all southern. Can you explain yeah. what drew you to Louisville? It it 
It's a, so it's a long story. Um, I had a tiny place that I opened up. I don't know. I was 25 or 26 and I opened up this tiny little shack um, and it was downtown and, and 9-11 happened. And actually, in some weird way, 9-11 is the reason why I moved to Kentucky. In, so this crazy. was in Brooklyn or Manhattan? It was just in downtown Manhattan on okay. Bond Street. And, um, you know, I'd, lived, I'd, I'd never left New York. I'd lived in New York my entire life. And 9-11 happens. I, I, I lost a good friend in the towers. Uh, my girlfriend at the time decided to move. And, like, many people moved out of New York. And, right. and she was one of them. It just, you know, and, and there was a – there was a. I was looking for some – you know, thing different in my life. And, and I had to get rid of the restaurant. And, uh, I thought, you know what, before I dive into something else, which, you know, anytime you dive into a restaurant, like it's like, it's a five-year commitment. Like you can't travel, you can't move, you can't do anything. It's just, I said, before I do this, like what's, what is this thing called America that I keep hearing about, but I know nothing <laughs> about because, you know, if you grow up in New York city, it's not America. Like it is, but it is it's like this <laughs> incredibly global, diverse, yeah. beautiful melting pot, but it's not America, right? It's, it's, um, and so I said, I, 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 I've never been to Wisconsin. I've never been to Ohio. I've never been to South Carolina. I've never been to California. I've never been to, I, so I had what a little money I had saved up. I said, I'm just going to start taking some road trips. And I went to some of these classic restaurants in America that I've always dreamed of going to in it, little Washington, Latoile in Wisconsin, like all these places. Uh, I went to a uh, 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 Joho in Chicago. Um, places that I just had only dreamt about or seen in magazines, but never had the money to actually go. Um, and I did. And uh, lo and behold, I wound up in Louisville, Kentucky. And, and during the Kentucky Derby, one of my bucket list items was always to go to Kentucky Derby. And I know nothing about, I, I, I then I, I knew nothing about Southern culture, nothing about Southern food. I had no friends in the South. Uh, but for some reason, I always liked Johnny Cash. <laughs> it's a good enough reason to just move your whole life somewhere. Why yeah, not? you know, why not? And I, I got to Nashville, like, but you know, whatever. Let's yeah. <laughs> like I grew up as a kid in Brooklyn. I remember like when when hip hop was just like blowing up, right? And and it was I was fourteen, thirteen, and and just like everyone's listening to hip hop and it's getting huge. It's like you know LL Cool J and Run DMC, and I'm like. Yeah, but you, you heard this guy named Johnny Cash? <laughs> I walked the line. Have you heard this shit? And people were like, what are you? You're a Korean guy from Brooklyn. Why are you yeah. listening to Johnny Cash? I don't know. I can't explain it. So so I just I kind of on a whim, I go, yeah, I'm gonna go down there for Derby and I'm gonna see it. And I called up uh, uh, an old cranky chef who owns uh, who was the owner of 610 Magnolia and uh spent a, a week with him cooking. And and you know I had and you didn't know him or did you have a connection? No, I just I, no, just cold, convinced cold. him to give you the time. Wow! I said you know because what happened and it still happens to this day like Derby Louisville is kind of a yeah well it's just it's a bit of a sleepy town uh, actually now it's pretty rocking but uh, back then it was very much a sleepy town all of a sudden Derby Week rolls around and you're you're, you're just your capacity at your restaurant like quadruples and so you always need more staff and everything yeah. so so I cold called him and he was like yeah yeah like we need help. Just come on by. And um, I remember being in the kitchen the first, you know, because I cooked in New York City, like a busy yeah. restaurant. Mm. And so I'm in the kitchen. He goes, don't look at anyone. Don't talk to anyone. Don't touch anyone. Just stand in a corner. I'm like, okay. So I'm standing in the corner and like the tickets start rolling in. And I remember he had like two Chinese lady, an ex-Marine and like uh, uh, some local dude in the kitchen. And, and they're just like within a half hour, they're just dying. Like the food is dying. Oh, like they're just getting in the weeds. And um, 
And I just, I go, he said not to touch it. And it's, it, he uh, told me not to do anything. <laughs> of course, 10 minutes later, I pushed everyone off the kitchen. <laughs> I'm cooking. I'm doing all the things. Oh, my gosh. At one point, he looks back in the kitchen, the owner, and just glares at me. And I'm like, oh, f- I'm done. This is gonna, you know. And also, like, I was staying in his basement. So I had no, no place to live. Like, if he <laughs> kicks me out. And it's derby week. You can't get a hotel yeah. room. So I'm like, oh. At the end of the night, he goes, um, he calls him in and goes, hey, everyone, this is Edward. He's from New York. And I don't know. Just listen to whatever he says. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> he just disappeared for like 24 hours. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, so at, the, you know, at the end of the week, I stayed a few extra days and hung out. And he really, he became like like my mentor, you know, another mentor. and Really helped me. It was like. He's like, you're depressed, man. You should move here to Kentucky and like take over my restaurant. I'm I'm old and I want to retire. And I go, I'm from New York. Like, there's no way I'm moving to Kentucky. Like, this is ridiculous. He goes, anyway, I go back to New York. He calls me literally every week um, <laughs> for like four or five months. And finally, I said, listen, I'll I'll come down. I'll come because I had nothing at that point. Yeah, uh, I sold the restaurant, so I said I'll come down for like four or five months. And and if I don't, yeah, like I'm not gonna like it. So and I'll come back to New York. And um, that was it. And then 19 years later, I'm still there. We'll get right back to the interview. But first, what is your favorite word? Tasty. Tasty. How appropriate. Uh, from the 1610s, meaning having agreeable flavor or palatable from taste. Uh, and then in the late 18th century, it could also mean tasteful or elegant. Speaking of great words. You gonna learn today. The word of the week is... Hogamadog. <laughs> that is a real word. Hogamadog. Uh, according to the English dialect dictionary, Hogamadog is the name of the sort of ever enlarging ball of snow that you make by rolling a smaller ball of snow through a snowfield uh, to make, you know, the body or the head of a snowman. So, in a sentence, Sarah had so many drinks in the winery igloo that she tripped several times trying to make a suitable Hogamadog. For the head of her snowman. <laughs> what a delightful word. By the way, I've used apricity like four times, and I think it's my new favorite word, not only to describe what it means, which if you didn't listen to that episode, is the warmth of sunshine in the winter. What a beautiful word. What a beautiful meaning. But apricity, as my friend pointed out, would make a great name for like a pop-up for winter cocktails. I have now decided at some point in my life I will own something named apricity because it is the most beautiful word ever. I'm not so sure about Hogamadog, but I'm going to use it. I am determined to use it at first snowfall of this year. Now let's get back to the interview. So you end up at 610 Magnolia, which is now your place, but was Mm -hmm. his. Um, We were hanging out recently, and I was told a hilarious story about a guy who came in and left you notes every time he ate there, giving you advice, none of which was good advice, but all of it was well-intentioned. He thought you were a dumbass kid, and the restaurant wasn't doing super great, so he thought he would teach you how to make it better, um, and also would start taking you to his country club so that you could get to know more people around town. Um, Tell me a bit about that and how that results in you spearing frogs. So... You know, there's there's like two worlds in the South, right? As I'm sure you know, like there's there's like the elevated world, and then you know, for lack of a better word, let's call it the redneck world. And uh, you know, everyone wanted to show me like the best of Louisville, which is normal. Like you, that's what you want to do. And so, I don't know. They took me to country club. And I, I'll say this too. So I moved to Six Ten. I, I you know we closed the restaurant for like two months, or not even like maybe a month. 
relaunched it, um, and no one came. <laughs> I was like, here's the big relaunch. And they were like, oh, Korean guy from New York? Ah, don't trust that. We're not going yeah. there. Um, also, we were we were back then, and we still are the most expensive restaurant in the city because we only do tasting menu. Um, so, the, I mean, we literally, when I say there was sometimes four people on a Saturday night, mm. it, was, it was that bad. And, and literally, like every two weeks, my entire staff would quit. Oh, and, no. and we just have to like rehire everyone. And, and I don't know why I stuck it out actually, because it was, it, it took a good like four months, maybe five before we actually had our first like fully booked night. Um, and I still have that piece because we used to write it on pencil. And I, yeah. I, and I ripped that piece of paper out of the reservation book and I still have it. Like, oh, that's great. A, a red check on it saying we're booked. Um, but I don't know. So, so in the meantime, some very nice, well-intentioned people would like come by and go, you know, you should have a Caesar salad on the menu. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like people just don't really wind, like wind down Wednesdays. <laughs> so it's like, I was like, I didn't move here to cook cheeseburgers. They're so like, you know, people here love a cheeseburger, and I'm sure you can make a really good one. You should do it. And I was like, yeah, well, thanks, but I think I'll stick to what I'm doing. Um, not knowing if it would succeed at all, but, but, but yeah. And so, you know, I was going to like country cl- and I don't fit in. Like I, I was going to like country clubs. Someone took me to a polo match once, which was just <laughs> awesome. But I was like, I don't you know, I don't really fit in. And um, so one day I'm hanging out, um, having a cigarette behind the restaurant. Like there's a little alley and um, there's a limo driver. Right? There's a fancy party going on. There's a limo driver. Uh, and he's got about maybe three teeth in his mouth. And, and uh, <laughs> so we're hanging out and talking and, and I go, so like, what do you guys do? Like, what do you, like, he's going, well, I'm going gigging this weekend. And I go, what's gigging? He goes, well, you know, we drink some Bud Light, get some flashlights and, and, you know, we go out on the, on the water and we spear for frogs. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, the city boy up until then had never heard of such a thing. <laughs> and so I said, I said, in my most respectful voice, I said, sir, do you mind if I join you? <laughs> and at this point, you're supposed to be in at the fancy party, but instead I'm you're in the alley hanging out with the limo drivers? With the limo driver. Yeah. And, and he says, sure, come on. And um, spent the night with rednecks. I don't know. We probably stayed up till five, six in the morning drinking Bud Light and bourbon. Uh, I don't think I caught a frog. Murdering uh, frogs. Yeah. I know I didn't catch one. They caught Oh, me, the story I, has changed. I don't know. It was it got murky at about five AM. Uh-huh, I bet. Like, there was a lot of spears going in the water. I don't know if if, if my it was his catch, mine. Right, I don't know. Right. But uh but you know, it 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 really it 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 woke my it's it's a small story, but it woke my eyes up to to and and I still do this to this day. Like um there's a lot of preconceived notions about the South. Let's just be honest about it. And there's a lot of uh, 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 perceived uh, sort of backwardness in the South. And, and, you know, like any word, there's some pros and cons to it. But I I have, man, some of the nicest people in, in, in my entire life I have met uh, uh, are people in Kentucky in the South and, and, and in rural places where you would think that people like me would maybe not be so welcome. Um, and, and, and it's something that, it's why I love it there and I'm still there and, and, and I still sort of, you know, make an effort to connect with people and, and really like see people for who they are. Cause like, and, and, you know, I live part-time in DC right now and, and it's a wonderful place and, you know, have many, many friends from New York still, but it's, it, it's a fascinating life where I can go from like 
New York to, to, to Kentucky yeah. and see the differences of, of how people live. And it's, 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 I, I love it. I, well, I, I you're also, it. you're also someone who was, um, it sounds like when you got there, you were willing to accept the backwardness in the pursuit of, of offering up real life experiences to potentially change people's minds. You have some stories of being in Louisville and not being treated well or being stereotyped. Mm -hmm. And instead of being angry and leaving, it was, let me see if actually being around people who have Mm -hmm. not been around Korean people or people of different culture, um, if that changes their mind or changes their behaviors. Right. And, and, and I would say that, you know, like I'm, I don't, claim to actually like cook Southern food. Like I do my version of Southern food, right? right? Like I'm not like a Southern chef because I didn't grow up there. Um, but you know, after 20 years, like I've, I've seen and traveled in the South a lot and eaten a lot. So I feel like I have a right to cook fried chicken. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, to, to, you know, when I was there, I don't know, year five or six or seven. Um, and the fact that, like I was able to cook whatever food I wanted to at my restaurant. Didn't matter as long as it tasted good. And people, believe me, they're, 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 the people in Kentucky tell you if they don't like something, um, and and they would say they say, "Boy, you can cook your ass off, and you whatever you cook, I'll eat." You know, and and in some ways, um, especially in the culinary world, um, there there is this thing like I, I felt a lot more pigeonholed in new york city for example because they were like well you're korean so you gotta open a korean restaurant right like you can't open a french restaurant like this just wouldn't work because there's look why would someone go to your restaurant when i can go to you know you know jean louis restaurant right? right and 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 so in some ways the, there was a weird kind of liberation to go because louisville isn't so densely populated and it's there aren't a thousand and one restaurants on every corner um, as long as I cook good food, people do not, I literally could open an Italian restaurant and people would come <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. but I couldn't do that in New York or Chicago. Yeah. Like there's, there's just too much competition. So there was a weird liberating, uh, uh, uh feeling about that. And, and it's, it's been great. And, and, and I encourage everyone, if you've not been to Kentucky <laughs> as you yourself, cause, cause yes, you know, it's you, blast. It's a good blast. Time. It really is. Although good I have to, I have harsh. to apologize because I feel like you've been there twice and both times your team lost. <laughs> yeah, thanks for so bringing I that feel, up. No, I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, I feel like I don't want nice. you to think like there's a bad, I don't a know curse. how superstitious Yeah, you there's, a, there's a curse in Louisville. Uh, I intend on are... changing those statistics okay. and, right, and making good. sure there there is no curse. Um, you mentioned Chicago. Correct me if I'm wrong. You met your wife in Louisville, but your first date was in Chicago? Yes. Okay, so let's hear about getting kicked out of one of the most famous bars in Chicago history. The pump room. It, is it? Is it? Is it famous? Is it that famous? I, I mean, it, is, yeah. it. It was it's historic. I, it's historic. I, it's historic. I used to go with my my parents and my grandma when I was a kid, and you'd see the black and white photos of old Hollywood folks and Frank Sinatra and all the famous people there. Yeah. And so it felt so historic. And when it closed, it did feel like sort of like the end of an yeah. era in Chicago. Definitely. No, I um I met my wife in 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 Louisville and um. It's, it's kind of, and she'll like she'll she's gonna say she's gonna listen to this and say I got it wrong, but I didn't get it wrong. <laughs> and she may even call your email and be like, "What the? F-? Now you have to do my side of the story." And uh, well, she's me, my next guest. Don't worry, I'm just fine. gonna get a full yeah. <laughs> yeah this will be an hour of complaints about me. <laughs> 
I should, that should be the conceit for my next podcast is have like an incredibly successful person <laughs> and just, then a follow-up spouse. episode yeah. with their spouse just to be like, actually, this guy is shit. I mean, honestly, the socks and the... <laughs> um, so, so we go on a date and, and I don't know what happened, but somehow we were supposed to meet um, that weekend, that next weekend or something. And, and she called, so I didn't have her number. I gave her my number. So I, you know, I was waiting for her call. Balls in your court lady. She called me to tell me that we can't date, that it's just not going to work out. And I was like, you didn't, you could have just not called me. So like you called me, that's, I already knew I was, (laughs) I already knew I was good. And then she said, then she said, well, I can't meet you and it's not going to work out. Like I can't meet you. I'm going to be in Chicago this weekend. Well, what I had forgotten to tell her when I met her was that I had a gig in Chicago that weekend. Uh-huh. So it was very weird. But I was like, oh, just so happens, I also am going to be in Chicago that weekend. Now she very- thinks you're a lunatic and you are <laughs> already flying to another state to stalk her. <laughs> so, so we go and I do this thing. And I remember she was with two friends of hers. And they wouldn't let, like, it was, it was like a double date. Like, I couldn't be alone with because yeah. so they were like, and Chaperones. they just, I couldn't shake them, you know, because they were like, <laughs> and at some point she was okay with me. And she was like, all right, I think we're, you know, Edward and I are going to go to another bar. And they were like, no, we're coming. And they're like, no, you don't have to. Like, <laughs> we're good. I'm not going to harm her. Um, so anyway, we finally uh, shook them. But now it was late. And I don't know, like, we're both not like, you know, we don't go to dive bars. So we didn't know, and we didn't know where to go. And we were walking and we passed by the pump room. I was like, oh, it's the pump room. So, so we go in and um, I don't know, it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday and there was no one there. There was like one guy eating a rotten lobster in the corner. <laughs> and I said something about how it smelled like rotten seafood and he got mad at me and actually left. <laughs> and then, um, like the bartender served us wine and then disappeared. And so I went and she was like, I just need a glass of water. And I was like, I'll get it for you. Like, I don't know. So I jumped behind the bar to get her a glass of water. And of course, like the minute I'm there pouring the water, the guy comes back and he's like, what are you f-ing? like? Good <laughs> so that we got kicked out of the pump room. Nice. Good um, start. Yep. Yeah. But it was, you know, but then we started giggling and that the whole, anyway. So, you know, we're, we're. Years later. We're, now, we're now you're 11 married with years and, married yeah. with a beautiful daughter and, 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 you know, I, I say, uh, uh, if we could go through COVID together, right? Agreed. Rest of life, the rest of life should be a breeze. I don't know. But Agreed. It was, it was, yeah. Let's talk about Top Chef. So it's it's 2011. So you had been running 610 Magnolia. Did you have your other spots no, by the I, time? I, just just the one. So you end up being a contestant. Um, you are the twelfth to exit that season's competition. Um, you What did I, I, I tend to? I try to. Uh, you know, Wikipedia does a lot of the work yeah, for yeah. you, but then you know you do some more googling and you're halfway there. Um, you, you, uh, what did you think before you went, and wh- what was your experience uh, once you got there? Well, you know, listen, it's it's. Um, I always say this, it was a miserable experience, not because, <laughs> not because it's like they're miserable, but the, the show is designed to make you miserable, right? Like it's, it's, you know, they do things that, that intentionally throw curveballs at you so that you cannot cook at your best. It's, that's just the way it is. So, um, 
it was intentionally miserable. But yeah, I think as a, and, and there's a weird like PTSD that all people that go through Top Chef have. Like, you know, you, I, I don't really follow the show very much. So I don't know who's been on, who's not. But every once in a while, I'll meet a chef and I'm like, yeah, I was on Top Chef. I'm like, oh, so we know, you know. like Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like we were, we were you tortured. were in the trenches. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and they, and they do things like they'll wake you up at like four in the morning, you know, and then bring you to set. But then make you sit on chairs in an empty room for oh. three hours. They want you to be stressed. They, they want, want the time stressed. constraints to be difficult. And- yeah, and they want you to be. So what happens is you get frustrated, you get right. angry, and then all of a sudden your 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 bad side comes out on camera. Right, you're and, fighting with the other people, and right, yeah. and that. But that in, in in entertainment language is called TV gold. Of course, content. <laughs> That's right. But it's a. But it's a. a um, you know, it's a remarkable thing that happens is that some people can rise above that noise and cook and, and really, like, focus. And, and what it does is it really makes you focus. Now, I will say, like, the food part of it is very authentic. It's very real. Um, and, and some people, like, can't get out of their own way, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, and some people, like, will just go, okay, I can block out all that noise and I'm just going to cook. Um, right. And those are the people that end up doing really well. Um and, and it's funny, like, I did pretty well up until the point where I just got fed up. I was just like, I'm done. And it's not, it, it's just psychologically, you just get done. And you're like, right. I'm, I'm over, I just, I just, I'm done, I'm done. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and that and you, goes. And then, yeah. you know, you make, you make a risotto and then yeah. they, they yeah. send you and home. Then, <laughs> and uh, so it is, it is, it's a, it's a cycle, as much as it is an actual, you know, physical, and that, but it's very psychological. I imagine there's some interesting creativity too, though, because I find that weird, you know, restrictions sometimes allow mm-hmm. your brain to work differently. And so there are oh. probably challenges. And then from that, you say, oh, I never would have thought of this. And then it becomes a part of your, your cooking going forward. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and, and it's, um, I mean, it's wild, you know, cause I'll say like, oh, here's some reindeer balls. See what you can do. <laughs> and, you know, like, All right. And, but, but it does, it, it kind of like, and I always say this because pe- people will call me and say, oh, I'm going on Top Chef next season. You know, what should I do? And I go, you, you can't. Tr- it's like, I don't know, going on Jeopardy. Like, you can't train for it. Right. It's, 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 it's either whatever is instinctual inside you, they will, they will find a way to, to right. pull that from the deepest, darkest depths of your, of your <laughs> instinctual, you know. And, yeah. Yeah. They, they, well, and they've, they've moved on from like the expected. So, you know, you can't practice the mise en place challenge and assume that there's you're going to crush it because they've there's got new not. stuff now. Yeah. Now you're in like a dark room blindfolded and you have to name a bunch of flavors without seeing them. Uh, they step it up every year. Um, speed round, uh, closest friend that you made from Top Chef. Oh, I don't know. I was. <laughs> I'm the worst at speed. You <laughs> didn't say speed round. My brain goes the opposite. This is why I'm not good at Top Chef because they're like, make something in a half hour. I'm like, huh? What? Um, I I I am really good. So what's funny is I'm, I'm the terrible. I'm the worst at speed round. Um, no. Sarah, who's a chef at Monteverde, I'm going to say Monteverde, Monteverde. yeah, in, in, Chicago. in Chicago, is is such a dear friend of mine, and her husband Jamie are the nicest people in the world. And I will say, like, we didn't get along when when we were filming, um, 
just because it, you know, it's a pressure cooker. But yeah. uh, since then, I've, every time I go to Chicago, I eat at their restaurant. They come and eat at mine. We've, they're, they're the sweetest people on the planet. If anyone of you out there has not been, you got to go. It's a wonderful. And, they're, and they truly are like real hospitable. Like they're really wonderful people. So I would say. Well, it's Chicago. So, you know, expect nothing less. Uh, best place you've gotten to travel now that you're doing the, you know, you're coming back as a judge. Oh, uh, from for for Top Chef. Yeah. Um, well, I was just there, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say where I'm supposed to, where I was. Mm, sneaky. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll be a teaser for the upcoming season yeah. that, that you went somewhere it very. It was very cool. warm and beautiful. I'll say that. Mm, okay. Uh, do you remember a meal from that show, either when you were cooking or judging, that just stood out for like, holy shit, what is this? This is incredible and different. No. I pretty much forget those things pretty, pretty <laughs> as soon as you're done. Yeah, and and and, and it's and it's not uh, uh, in any way like a knock, um, but but I, I I do differentiate between competition food cooking mm-hmm. and and restaurant food cooking. So like in many respects, like I've been, for example, like a couple of seasons ago, I judged in Kentucky and uh, I ate someone's food and. I go, listen, I'm not going to judge you on this. Like, even though I was judging you on the yeah, episode, yeah. like, I'm not going to, this isn't you. This is not you. Not in life. Yeah. yeah. Like this was you after like 10 hours of torture and not having your ingredients and, <laughs> right. and you know, cooking on a basketball, you know, <laughs> stadium. Like yeah. I'm not going to judge you. So, so what I do is I intentionally forget it. Like the minute it's over. Right. And then I went to that person's restaurant. I was like, "You're a badass cook. Like this is yeah. really good. I'm glad I got to meet you and all that." But but I I would never hold in and vice versa. If the food is really good, I'm never gonna go like, "Oh my god, he's an amazing chef because I ate something he made on Top Chef." Like right? No, you gotta you, go follow you, up. Yeah, you test your 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 you know you get judged by your restaurant ultimately you know in life. Um, we did some judging ourselves. We created a game called ESPN and Top <laughs> Chef, uh, where we would just say a name of someone that I worked with or you spent time with, and they got a thumbs up, a sideways thumb, or a thumbs down. Yeah. Uh, you grew very tired of the game you invented after I didn't give anyone a thumbs down, and you said new rules, only thumbs down people, and why. Um, none of that is going to be in this podcast. None of the few people that I managed to scrounge up from the bottom of the barrel at my company are going to be publicly shamed, but I appreciate it. We, we invented that. And we also invented a very uh, not PC show called cancel Island right, uh, where we right. put all the that canceled was. people and they have to effectively convince us that they're sorry. And then they get released from the Island. Uh, which, but- which also leads me to the theorem <laughs> that the best ideas happen after a little bit of wine at like Agreed. 1130. Agreed. Okay. Not at 2 a.m. No. Like 11.30, that's when yeah. the ideas are clicking. I believe it was somewhere around 11.30 that we made a pyramid uh, the last time I was in Louisville outside of a bar that had not yet opened for us. So I agree with you on the ideas. Uh, let's talk about the Lee Initiative. Um, this is something that you started that, that focuses on a number of um, gender and diversity related issues in, in kitchens, whether that's female chefs or black owned restaurants. Um, during the pandemic, there was a lot of just helping a restaurant em- employees and owners uh, through tough times. What made you start that? And and why is the focus um, sort of a broad sense of diversity in the kitchen as mm-hmm. opposed to very specifically Korean chefs or or something else? Well, so the the, the original uh, impetus for it was this really the Me Too movement. Um, and and you know, I'll, I'll give a shout out to to Lindsay Osasek, who's my co-founder, uh, and she used to be my GM at the restaurant 610. And um, 
when the Me Too movement hit the restaurant industry, just like it hit at, at, you know any industry, it was really hard. It was really hard because, you know, Lindsay and I both have, like so many other restaurant professionals, have devoted our entire lives to this industry. And we all just, I'm sure it's the same in sports. There are a couple of bad apples mm-hmm. out there, but, but, they're, but they're, by and large, I don't think you get to build up an industry like this full of bad people. Like it just wouldn't happen. And, and it takes good people, honest people, dedicated people um, who create a community. And, and that's how you get this incredible restaurant revolution and, and this food renaissance in America um, that people all enjoy. And, and because of a few bad apples, and they, and they were big names, um, uh, and deservedly, we, we got kicked in the pants. And, mm-hmm. and, but, I, but I also said, like, I, I don't want this to be, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't want this to be the legacy of restaurants. I don't want, I don't want the general population thinking that this is all chefs. Um, and so we, we, you know, in, in the same way that 610 Magnolia was, was a tiny restaurant and we did tiny things, but, but we, we built legs and it's, you know, it's 20, we're going on 20 years now under my helm and, you know, knock on wood, maybe another 20 more. Um, I wanted to build a nonprofit that was small, impactful, really dealt with issues and, and was not going to move on to the next thing when the media moved on to the next thing. Like mm. we were like, if we're committed to, 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 to female, you know, chef empowerment in the kitchen and leadership, then we're going to do this for 10 years, high come hell or high water. Um, and, and we're now in year four of it. Uh, and we're seeing like major impacts happening. Um, we're, we're seeing that, that, you know, w- w- and I've always believed that, you know, it's it, it cooking and restaurants has not always been a man's world. It became that way when restaurants became lucrative and when it became mm-hmm. uh, 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 competitive and awards started getting thrown thrown around. Um, but it's just it was- like sports. Women's college basketball was all female coaches, and then it started mm-hmm. making money and getting prestige. And now it's this influx of, of male coaches taking over. Yeah, yeah. And what you know, listen, wherever there's money, the the hounds are going to come in. They go, mm-hmm. and 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 I said, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. I don't care. And also, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want a restaurant that's fully run by women either. Like it's not. We need to. When I say diversity, it's 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 race. It's color. It's you know size. It's everything. It's it's diversity of thought. Diversity of ideas. Like I, I want men and women. Like it has. And then there's so many kitchens you go into, and it's like it's a hundred percent male. You know, or, or or you know, or and then you have the opposite thing where there's a there's an empowered female chef, and she goes, "I'm only going to hire women chefs to offset the male chef kitchen over there." So now you have these like, you know, kitchens run by thirty women, or kitchens run, and I'm like, we need to have find balance. We need to find something, and and to me, the way you do that is to have more. Like I always say this. I, I, I don't worry, and listen, and I can't, the minute I say this, it's going to bite me in the ass, but like, <laughs> I don't worry about um, harassment in my restaurants. Why? All of my restaurants are run by female GMs, every single one of them. And so, and it's, I don't do that intentionally. It just, it just kind of organically happens that way. And they have zero tolerance for it. And when I say mm-hmm. it's like zero tolerance. And, and to me, like, if you want to offset sexual harassment in the workplace, have a woman in charge. They mm. are just not going to talk. Whereas even, even the best intended men may go, hey, dude, that was not cool. Like, can you just not do that again <laughs> next time? Right. right. They just tend to be, whereas a woman will go, that's out of, you're done, get out. 
And there's right. this, if right. you want zero tolerance, you have to have zero tolerance. And 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 like when when we started to talk about these things and see these things, we said, you know, let's we need more balance in the restaurant. It's, and it's not to say the restaurant industry is broken. It's not to say that it's it's it needs to be burned down. Um, it's just we need to fix something. We need balance. So we started this thing about four years ago, and we started bringing in a, a young women chefs. From, from all over the, we're started in Kentucky, but now it's all over the country. Um, and we try and catch them early on in their career. So when they're like line cooks and garmanger. And, um, and we just show them, we give them, uh, 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 you know, culinary training, but also like social media training, uh, financial training, you know, how to pitch to investors, you know, all the things that they need. They, they have to do a cooking video. Um, they have to, you know, do PR pitches, like all the things that you need um, to be empowered and to be your own, you know, restaurant owner, whatever you want to be. Um, but also planting the seeds of activism as well. Right. You know, and, and, and what's fascinating to me, listen, when I was 22, I never thought about activism. I never thought about, I was so just busy trying to succeed. I never thought about giving back to my community. You know, I, I got successful and then it started to sort of, you know, and now these younger chefs at 22, 23, 20, they're already thinking about how do I get successful, but also better my community at the same time. And that's, that's to me, that's a sea change. That's a revolutionary way of thinking. And I, and I truly believe the next generation of chefs, if we keep nurturing this idea, We'll just we'll we'll change things for the better in ways that we could never even have imagined, while still maintaining a level of food quality and creativity that the public want. And if you can have both, why not? It's like the best of both worlds, you know. Yeah, it does feel like for as bad as social media it is. Um, I often talk about how it sort of removes the necessity of gatekeepers for everything from the topics in sports you want to talk about to social activism. And so you don't have to be around the right people to know it exists anymore. And so many of us were sort of selfish in our youth until we have more time and 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 you know consistency and solidity in our lives to look around and say where, where we can help. And as people are coming up in, and are much younger now, they're already sort of surrounded by those conversations and the issues in ways that make it easier to get involved much younger and, and sort of start your work with that in mind instead of needing to eventually get there, which is huge. Um, huge. And, and, you know, listen, there's, there's you know, as, as, as someone who's nearing 50, um, you know, there's a lot of talk in my generation about like, oh my God, the millennials, oh, these young kids, you know, there's this, and, and, and while, you know, there's some of that in my head too, I, mean, I, I, I look at the younger generation and I look at the chefs coming up and I look at the people who are going to inherit the, the world and I go, you know, God, you guys, you, you, you guys have it so much more put together than we did. Yeah. And I did anyway in my generation. For sure. And 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 I I think the future is super bright. Uh, and I know there's a lot of negativity out there, but like I, I I look at them and I look at the tools they have. I look at the 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 things they want to accomplish. I look at their food skills. I look at their their community. You know, their love for it's 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 different. It's different. And and I'm I'm one that always looks to the younger generation. I go, you you guys, you take over. Like. Bounce me out of this, you know. Like you're, 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 you're the future. Like this is amazing, and I just honestly, in many, I just want to be a part of it. I want right. to be, I want to have a hand in nurturing that, whatever that attitude is that they have, whatever that 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 yearning for equality for diversity. I just, I because these are not my ideas that I'm impressing on them. These are their ideas. I just happen to be in a place of a little bit more power and a little bit more money and a little bit more access to to things where I can help that along. I, it's they're, they're, 
these are not ideas that were born out of my head, you know, right. this, is, this is stuff that the next generation is but, coming up with. But it's great that you care about it because there are plenty of people who achieve a certain um, success and fame and, and they don't really care about the giving back part. Um, I, just, I like the I positivity. Say, I just say, listen, at the end of the day, I want to, one of these, you know, young chefs are going to give me a job as a dishwasher when I'm in. There you go. Place. There you go. Well, at, at some point you have to find the next uh, chef, Edward Lee, who you could just say, I want to retire, move to Louisville, take over the restaurants <laughs> so I can go do what I want. Exactly. Uh, we're out of time here, unfortunately. So you have to do the one thing that everybody does okay. and nobody expects. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. The Spanish Inquisition is part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Unfortunately, it's another speed round. It's the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, your current career is canceled. You can't do anything involving cooking. What job do you do instead? Oh, I would be a, uh, I would like to write uh, plays. Or oh, very cool. Love that. Uh, number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? Uh, when I, oh, when, when, before we got married, uh, I got a DUI and my wife almost. Oh, no. Almost. We weren't gonna, yeah, she almost broke it up. Wow, that is scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, number three, you can be the best in the world at one thing for one day. What is it? Cooking? I mean, yeah, I'm gonna be, yeah. lean, lean on into it. <laughs> uh, Number four, what current celebrity from music, politics, TV, or sports would you most like to be your best friend? Oh, my God. That's a good one. Um, politics, sports. I'll, I'll do sports. Um, Deion Sanders. Hmm. I he's thought maybe my, you'd say uh, Dominique Foxworth. Yeah, or Dominique. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a number, that's a close number two. Dominique Foxworth, uh, one of your neighbors who you are too afraid to introduce yourself to. <laughs> Has that happened yet? Are we still working on no, that? No, no. I don't, I never see him. Bring over some food. All right. It's just easy he, as I don't that. know what he likes. What is it? I'll like? look into it for you. All right. I'll, all right. I'll have him, right. I'll have him come on the podcast and list some of his favorites. You can. Cause you know, I, you know what I want? I want like, like, like I want to watch a game with like, an ESPN, it doesn't have to be Dominic or like, I have a feeling like watching a game with a sports analyst is like a totally different level. Yeah, for sure. You know, than just like watching it with a bunch of dudes. All right. Well, you bring the food, Dominique but will bring people, the commentary, yeah. you know, but then you know what it is like, people are like, Oh, I want to cook with you. And I'm like, Oh my God. really? I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I try to avoid that, you know, my whole life. I'm like, I don't want to cook with that. That's people. funny. Oh so my gosh. I'm sensitive uh, to that. I'm sensitive to that. Uh, number five, what's your biggest, most meaningless pet peeve? Oh, dishwasher. How to load a dishwasher. Oh, oh, it's got to be. It's got to be. Now, are you so the one exact. telling everyone what to do or yeah. are you the one getting? Oh, God. So and, you're you, the worst. and you have to. And you pre-rinse. There's a reason yeah. why you pre-rinse. Oh, 100% on the pre-rinse for me. I can't to. stand it when my, my husband. And then, like, he also eats this very specific kind of cereal. I don't know if it's the cereal or the soy milk or whatever, but, yeah. like, it's crusted to the bowl. It, and it I need, like, a chisel. I'm like, when you put it in the sink, wash that out before it dries. It takes an hour to, like, chisel it out. Or just add water to it, and it'll loosen up. Yeah, and you can soak it. it. Yeah. yeah, soak it, okay. pre-rinse. Okay. No, I, I'm glad you and I are in the same dishwasher. Yeah, it's, it's very it, important. It, it, it drives <laughs> me up the wall. Uh, number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Oh, how many? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, it, it like happens every day. I don't know. I guess I was so, so, oh, this, I don't, can't even 
believe I'm telling you this. Um, you know, so I have, the, because Audi is one of our sponsors for the Lee Initiative. So we have these Audi cars. And before that, I just drove my own Pathfinder. Like I just, you know, so, you know, whatever, you're in your own car. Sometimes, I don't know, every once in a while at a red light, I may pick my nose. I don't know. It happens every now and then. <laughs> and I was at a red light and I just realized like now I have the branded car. So it says Lee Initiative oh. on my car. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think someone saw it and recognized me and then like turned to me and gave me a little thumbs up. Yeah, a little. Yeah. And then you you did the Seinfeld. No, pick. Yeah. No, pick. Pick. Um, it's too late. You'd been spotted. Uh, number seven. What's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? My uh, karaoke skills. Oh, not great. We were looking for karaoke that night. I we were know. in Louisville. We never I'm found like it. I'd like to say not bad, but not yes. Bad. Not What's good. your go-to song? I've got many. It depends on, depends on, you know, but right now, this one is hard because I need a partner. Um, but the, the Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga is like, Oh, that's very, yeah, that's a very sincere. Yeah. Okay. And and we're serious. It it takes a lot of emotion and, and it does deliver. I look forward to seeing that one day. Uh, number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play your next party. Who is it? Uh, wow. I, I would, you know, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm I'm one of the biggest Bob Dylan fans you'll probably ever be. Um, but I would never ask that of him because I, don't even think it's I'm worthy of that. So well, the I question doesn't yes. involve like bringing people back from the dead. So okay. I think we can suspend disbelief on whether or not Bob would want to be at your party. I think you just be, you know. <laughs> this is true. This is true. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll go Bob with Dylan. Bob Dylan. He'll be thrilled. Okay. Um, number nine. What would you consider your biggest failure? Um, I don't think I've had it yet. I think I'm still. I think failure is is the worst great. is yet to come. Yeah, the worst is yet to come. <laughs> on a on a positive note, the worst is yet. To, no, I, yeah. I I think I think uh, failure become failure happens because you risk something, and and I hope hopefully I'm I'm not done risking. So I love uh, that answer. That's yeah. that's a great one. Number ten. Finally, what three individual words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Oh, he was cool. He was cool. I like that. Also would be my favorite tombstone. Like if I were in a cemetery <laughs> and I saw it and it just said he was cool, was cool. I'd be like, I need to know more about this person. Yeah. Uh, finally, I have on the podcast, who's someone I would find interesting from any industry that would just be cool to have on? Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm friends with uh, John Cho. Okay. Who I think is a fascinating fellow. He's a he's a yeah. actor, um, mm-hmm. Star Trek. He's got his own sh- thing now on on Netflix called Cowboy Bebop, um, and and you know because he started uh, he, you know obviously with the Harold and Kumar uh, mm-hmm. uh, franchise, and and you know it, it's very interesting to be typecast in, in one thing and then to sort of progress your career. And, and right, um, I know him, I know him pretty well, I guess, and and he's not who you think. He is like he's he's very very uh, he's a very interesting cat and well and it's what's funny is both of them are because Cal Penn yeah. Yeah. um is is my uh, my friends are very good friends with him so between the two of them you know Cal's you know working for the White House as a you know mm-hmm. a office of public liaisons and, and fascinating dude so um funny that that it's it's sort of like if we found out that the you know dude wears my car guys are actually uh ambassadors to uh, or, or, or dignitaries or, that uh, um, you know, like Cheech Bill and, and Chong. Ted's. 
Bill and right? Ted, she just and, talk, and, yeah. and Keanu turned out to be like this incredibly diverse sense, like, like not, right. you know, like, and, and then, thoughtful and yeah. yeah. And I think like John's writing a, a young adult book right now. Like it's just a crazy, well, we'll like, get him on to promote it. That's perfect. Yeah. Synergy. Yeah. Um, and this was so fun. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having find me. Out, is, I'm going to find awesome. out Dominique's favorite foods, and we're going to make okay. this happen. Okay. I'm going to come over. I'm going to eat the food and watch the football with you guys. Come to D.C. We would love to have you. I got to go. I got to go. Uh, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. So this is a place for rants, raves, everything in between. Something to read, something to watch, something to listen to, whatever I want to share with you. And this week, it is a ridiculous story on the website called Everywhereist. Uh, The headline is Bros Leche. We eat at the worst Michelin-starred restaurant ever. And I will just read you some of the beginning. There's something to be said about a truly disastrous meal, a meal forever indelible in your memory because it's so uniquely bad, it could only be deemed an achievement. The sort of meal where everyone involved was definitely trying to do something. It's just not entirely clear what. I'm not talking about a meal that's poorly cooked or a server that may be planning your murder. That sort of thing happens in the fat lump of the bell curve of bad. Instead, I'm talking about the long tail stuff, the sort of meals that make you feel as though the fabric of reality is unraveling. The ones that cause you to reassess the fundamentals of capitalism and whether or not you're living in a simulation in which someone failed to properly program this particular restaurant. The ones where you just know somebody's going to lift a metal tome off a tray and reveal a single blue or red pill. I'm talking about those meals. At some point, the only way to regard that sort of experience without going mad is as some sort of community improv theater. You sit in the audience shouting suggestions like, a restaurant, and eating something that resembles food, and the exchange of money for goods, and in this case, the goods are a goddamn meal. All of these suggestions go completely ignored. That is how I've come to regard our dinner at Bro's, Lecce's only Michelin-starred restaurant, as a means of preserving what's left of my sanity. It wasn't dinner. It was just dinner theater. No, scratch that, because dinner was not involved. I mean, dinner played a role the same way Godot played a role in Beckett's eponymous play. The entire evening was about it. And guess what? It never showed. You must read this piece. It's so good. It's by... um, I'm trying to remember the author's name. I'll find it. But she not only wrote this piece to great acclaim and it went viral, but then the response from the chef after this went viral also uh, is hilarious and absurd and ridiculous. The chef has a tattoo that says bros over hose. (laughs) The chef has a course in the meal that is made of a plaster cast of his own mouth and you are supposed to lick the citrus foam in the chef's mouth as part of the meal, and then they sell those at the gift shop. And in his retort about the restaurant and her review, he includes a strange drawing of a horse and then some more and tries to connect them to what real art is in the kitchen. The point is, just read it, and then once you read it, go ahead and you know, follow the lines to all the other stories about it. The coverage of his response, her Twitter account, all of it. You must. It's so good. Uh, I highly recommend it. Geraldine de Ruiter is the name of the author. And again, it's on Everywhereist. Check it out.
Don't forget, you can always tweet me at Sarah Spain if you have guest suggestions, questions, dilemmas, whatever. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.